You can't get much more Amish than we were. When the actress Kelly McGillis was preparing for her role as a widowed Amish mother in the 1985 movie Witness with Harrison Ford, she moved into our house. She slept in the guest bedroom. She got up at four in the morning and had my brothers teach her to milk cows. This is when I'm used to going to bed, she said, laughing. She planted rows of potatoes by hand, but had trouble keeping the rows straight. She stared for hours at my mother, herself an Amish widow, mimicking my mom's hand gestures, learning her recipes, trying to get the Pennsylvania Dutch accent just right. That last one took some effort, but Kelly really nailed it. The boy in the film is called Samuel, my oldest brother's name. When it came to being Amish, no one doubted the Stoltzfuses. Of course, we didn't think we were special. Most of the people we knew were just about like we were. When I was little, we lived on a farm outside Quarryville in rural Lancaster County. That's in south-central Pennsylvania, the very heart of Amish country. We spoke a language called Pennsylvania Dutch, which isn't Dutch at all. It has nothing to do with Holland or wooden shoes or legal pot in Amsterdam. Pennsylvania Dutch is actually a kind of German, or Deutsch, as the Germans say it, which the Americans heard as Dutch, thereby confusing generations of baffled Amish country tourists. To this day, they still show up in Lebanon County, Pennsylvania, and Holmes County, Ohio, and other Amish strongholds, and ask, Where are the tulips and the windmills? On the farm, we grew corn and tobacco, and raised dairy cows. My brothers and sisters and I were strictly forbidden to look at television, play video games, or even listen to the radio. In fact, we had no electricity. Eating homemade ice cream after supper, or reading Bible stories by kerosene lamp— That's what passed for primetime entertainment at our house. School, we knew, would end for each of us after eighth grade, and that was totally legal under a special agreement the Amish have with Washington. In 1972, seven years before I was born, the United States Supreme Court said that the freedom of religion enjoyed by Amish families outweighed the state laws that kept most children in school until at least the age of 16. With that decision, The court ended for the foreseeable future any prospect of Amish doctors, Amish lawyers, or Amish college professors. It also obliterated the whole concept of Amish high school, and with it, the possibility of ever hearing a bashful Amish homecoming queen say, Don't take my picture, I'm wearing a very, very plain dress. We were old order Amish, the most traditional kind. We had running water and a diesel tractor, but we didn't have a telephone. If we had to make a call in an emergency, we went to a neighbor's house. And we didn't have a car. If somewhere was too far to walk, we rode in a black, horse-drawn buggy, which averaged five miles and one bucket of oats per hour. Our version of stepping on the gas was yelling at the horse. From the time I could walk, my parents dressed me in a black hat, black pants, black suspenders, and a plain white shirt with hand-sewn buttons. I dreamed of having snaps. God, I wanted snaps. But snaps were considered too fancy in an Amish family as plain as ours was, same as barbershop haircuts. We were strictly bowl and scissors kids. When the tourists stared at us or tried to take our pictures, we were taught to turn our heads away and look down. Like many Amish families, our heritage went back into the mists of Switzerland in the 15th and 16th centuries. In those ancient days, A fiery group of students in Zurich had grown incensed that the Protestant Reformation was taking so long. 
It's a story I've heard my whole life. These young Swiss students thought Martin Luther, John Calvin, and the other reformers had done a solid job slamming the corrupt practices of the Catholic Church. But where was the actual reform? These complaints were not appreciated by Europe's Protestant leaders or the monarchs they loyally supported. The authorities arrested the young rabble-rousers, jailed them, tortured them, drowned them, and warned everyone else not to be like them. The critics did what they could to survive. They hid out, fled the cities, abandoned their various trades, and moved to the sparsely populated Low Country near the Swiss-German border, where they cultivated small farms.